Well, my name is Mara, if you don't know me. Um, I'm on staff at Journey, and it is great to see. I actually can't really see anyone, but, but it's great to see your faces this morning. Um, I am so excited. Our new elders, what a team. You guys are in good hands. We're in good hands. Speaking of, i just like to acknowledge our new elder, Christine Spost, last week, which means I'm no longer the only girl. So, so excited for that. Um, also, she did a great job. So if you haven't seen last week's preach, please go watch it. She did a great job. Great job. But today, I'm here to talk to you about boldness. Are we so excited? Boldness. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, oh, anyway, so I'm going to follow the story of Joshua. Not my Joshua. Um, the one in the Bible. Um, he would literally kill me. <laughs> Both will be interesting, but we're going with the one in the Bible today. Um, our series is Thriving, Not Surviving. And honestly, if you're not walking in boldness, you are not thriving. It's just how it goes. So let's get into it. Today, usually, I'm kind of shaking it up a little bit, so real exciting. Usually, I go through, and I have these really lovely points, and it's all, like, organized. I'm going a little off the rails here this morning, Um, but Joshua is a great story, and there's so much in it, but I can't sit here and read you over 20 chapters of this book, so please go and read it, because I'm going to try to go through it in kind of a synopsis type thing, because there's a lot to unpack here, but go read Joshua. It's great. It's really good. Um, But we're talking about boldness, and this is one of my favorite examples in the Bible of boldness, because Joshua led the people of Israel into the promised land. And that's an incredible thing, considering how much of a fuss it was to get them there overall. Um, So let's do this. Let's do this. So we're going to start in Joshua 1, verse 1. And we're going to read through to nine. And this kind of sets up the entire narrative, the entire narrative of Joshua. This says, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, first of all, big shoes to fill. I mean, the dude saw God's back. <laughs> I was like, I don't know what to say. I was like, side back. Anyway, like he saw, he saw the Lord. He walked in the presence of the Lord. He survived the presence of the Lord. Massive, massive shoes to fill. So that's intimidating. So... We're just painting, you know me, I like to set the scene. Um, The Lord said to Joshua, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all of these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give them, to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon and from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite to the Mediterranean Sea in the West. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. So be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore their ancestors to give them. Be strong and very courageous. Careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. This implies he's terrified because otherwise God wouldn't have said it twice. He's like, hello, have I not said calm down? 
Be strong and very courageous. Don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you everywhere you go. The amount of times the Lord says, I will be with you in the Bible is insane. And yet when we're in a place of pressure or we're in a place where we're terrified, our first question is often like, God, where, 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 where are you? He's with us. So we have to remember it is incredibly important in moments that can really stretch us, really intimidate us, areas where the Lord is asking us to do something that's quite terrifying or out of our comfort zone, that he promised he would be with us twice, more than once. Now, the promised land was Canaan. So I was looking into this. So present day, this would have been parts of Israel. This would have been the West Bank. This would be Gaza, parts of Jordan, southern portions of Syria, and Lebanon. This is a big portion of land, and it's already inhabited. So that's also a bit awkward. So this was not just like, oh, just like take a nice walk through the meadows, and you'll find this magical land that's just yours for the taking. It wasn't like that. It wasn't like that at all. They had a journey to go on. Numbers 26, 51 says that the number of Israelite men at least 20 years old was 601,730. So including women and children, that's roughly between, roughly between 2 and 2.4 million people. In Northern Ireland in 2021... Our consensus was 1,903,175 people. So just imagine casually the Lord telling you, hey, you're going to be in charge of this nation. You have to get them across a river and get them into a land that's already inhabited. But don't be scared. It's fine. It's fine. That's terrifying. There's a lot there to do. It's also, if you look back into the story, God promised the Israelites the promised land, but the first generation post-Egypt didn't listen to the Lord, and they never made it. So God waited until that generation died for the next generation to get into the promised land. So this is a new batch of people. They haven't had a good example of what it is to obey the Lord They haven't had a good example of what it is to walk in his ways. They've been attacked. They've seen their parents go through stuff. They've seen what happens when you don't obey the Lord and it's not pretty. They saw the fruit and the promise of God. It didn't happen for their parents because their parents weren't obedient. So you have this fresh generation of people. And when you think about that, from an outsider's perspective, if it was me, I would be like, let's go. Let's do it. But outsider's perspective, it makes sense that this took a while. This took a while. There's so much that we'll read into where their faith was built and where they went against adversity because you're not just going to hand a promised land to a group of inexperienced people who haven't had a good example of what it is to live in obedience and in faith. So when it's you, I'm making it personal, When it's you, sometimes you might be in a situation where you're like, God, seriously, are you kidding me? Give it to me now. What's wrong? But if you look at a bad outside perspective, you're like, God's preparing you. God's preparing you. A huge part of what this looks like is having the boldness and the courage to step out even when it's not happening now and even when you're not getting what you want right now. And so we have this entire nation of people that are about to hit the promised land with no experience whatsoever. 
and their leader, Joshua, was a military guy. He, over, he saw battles. He fought in things. He didn't lead the country. Like, he didn't lead the people. So we have this person that's technically not qualified to lead a group of people bigger than this population of this country. That's a lot of people. And knowing how it works, I'm from the States as well. It's not very often that a mass amount of people are just like, sure, I'll follow you. No problem. There's usually a lot of divisions like, well, one of them, he's not qualified. Or like, no, in the States, like, I'm not voting for him. No way. Like, it's so divisive. So thinking about how miraculous this is that God's like, no, I've appointed you. They'll follow you. It's all good. Twice. Told him twice. Is insane. So this took a lot of courage and a lot of boldness because you're talking to someone who's like basically an army guy leading a country of people across a river into a nation that's already populated and to take it. So cool. So the stakes are high. I'm sure we can all agree. The stakes are pretty high. Like this is a lot. There's a lot hinging on this. They had just seen an entire generation miss out because of disobedience. And now it's their turn. I'm sure people were thinking about that. Some people might not even believe they ever would make it. Like there's just a lot of scenarios that are happening here. But Joshua tells the people, okay, (laughs) get ready. Here we go. So they have to cross the Jordan in order to get to the promised land. This river at its deepest is about 17 feet. So to be fair, when it comes to rivers, it's not the biggest river ever. However, when you have to get 2.4 million people across it with all their stuff, that was probably a living nightmare. However, they walked across on dry ground because God is cool. And I think this is really significant because whenever God delivered the previous generation from Egypt, they also walked through on dry ground. It's really cool how the Lord is like, hey, my promise is still good. I'm still going to make a way for you. Don't be afraid. I've got you. And I love that he used the example of water again, which is cool. Tiny detail, but still. So basically, they go across the river. The river dries up. They go across. Everything's fine. The Canaanite kings, this is the land they're going to, are petrified. They're terrified. They're very scared, which is fair enough. Like, it would be very scary not knowing God that just the river just opens up for all these people to come into your land. It's very scary. So the Israelites kept moving. They kept going. And at one point, once they crossed the Jordan, they kind of set up a camp. And the Lord asked them to consecrate themselves before him, to lay it all down before him. In the men's case, this meant the entire, all of the males had to be circumcised. If that's not laying it before God, I don't know what is. So, think, amen, amen, listen. I'm a girl and I'm like, e. no, mm-mm, mm-mm. So just thinking about the gravity of what that would look like, that would be horrendous, horrendous. But he asked them to consecrate themselves, and they did. And for the first time in 40 years, instead of eating manna and quail, they ate off the resources of the land. And as they did so, they ended up also celebrating their Passover, which is their holiday, which celebrates coming out of Egypt. So how significant. It's like the first time you eat food that isn't manna, which, to be honest, thinking about manna just appearing in the morning and quails coming that night to feed you, is so amazing for like the first week 
But then if you think about 40 years, I'd be like, I just want a steak, please. <laughs> Anything. So it's incredible to think that the first time that they do this, how significant, they've crossed the Jordan. They're now heading into the, they're on the cusp of the promised land. This holiday happens to be at this time and they eat the resources of the land for the first time. So that's already stepping into a promise of God. This is very exciting. So they went through, I'm going to kind of, again, please read, please read Joshua. Um, But they go through a lot before settling in. So essentially, here's a little list. They march around Jericho, and they see it fall. A city just fall, because they (laughs) walked around it singing. How weird is that? But it fell. That's insane. Incredible. They marched around Jericho. They had disobedience in and amongst them. They did have issues with some people not obeying the Lord, and they had to deal with it. So this wasn't perfect. This wasn't a perfect, flawless generation by any means. They still had to learn. They still had to figure this out. They've never done anything like this before. It was messy. It was human. They defeated kings. They fought battles. It didn't just fall on top of their lap. The conquest of the promised land took seven years. It took seven years for them to get all the people over, to disperse them, to get the people who were settled there out so they could be there. The conquest took seven years. That's a long time. That's a long time. It wasn't just handed to them. And at this point, Joshua was 82. So in his great wisdom, he was like, okay, we're going to appoint a leader per tribe because I'm done. (laughs) I'm tired. I'm done. So they did so, and in that, we end this wonderful journey with Joshua retiring after a successful conquering, basically, of this area, and each tribe having a leader, having security, and having their own promised land. They they made it to the promised land. They made it. Whenever he's charging the leaders, this is, we're skipping way down to Joshua 23. Whenever he was speaking to the leaders and essentially being like, all right, you guys are leading. I'm stepping down. This is my charge to you. He said, um, let me see. This kind of does what I just did. After a long time had passed, the Lord had given Israel rest from all enemies around them. Joshua by then was a very old man, and he summoned Israel, their elders, leaders, judges, and officials, and said, I am very old. You yourselves have seen everything the Lord God has done, all these nations for your sake. It was the Lord your God who fought for you. Remember how I have allotted as an inheritance for your tribes in the land of the nations that remain, the nations I conquered between Jordan and the Mediterranean Sea. We're going to skip down to verse 6. Be strong, be careful to obey all that is written in the book of Moses without turning to the right or to the left. Do not associate with these nations that remain among you, Do not invoke the names of their gods or swear by them. You must not serve or bow down to them. You are to hold fast to the Lord your God as you have until now. So he basically leaves them with the same charge that God gave him. It's like, be strong, be courageous, stick to what the Lord asked of us, and we'll prosper. And that's what happened. They did it. What a legacy, though, to leave. What a legacy, because I'm sure that Joshua had to remind himself of that on a daily basis. 
And at one point, he has one of those crying out moments where he's like, why did you even do this to me? Why did you put me in this position if, if we're just going to struggle? Why? Are, why? What, what is happening here? But we read this in the Bible and we're like, oh, they made it to the promised land. So boldness, you cannot hyperfixate on your circumstances and step out in boldness at the same time. A lot of times we tend to just, just be so focused on something, it's like, oh, this isn't happening. Why is this not happening? Why is this not happening? But then if you look back on your life, if you take a second, like the testimonies that John shared this morning, if in the song we sang for that matter, Sometimes we need to take a second. We need to stop hyperfixating on what's happening right now, what isn't happening right now. Why, 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 why? Take a step back and be like, you know, two years ago, I felt this about whatever, and now this isn't even a problem anymore. Now this is just a new way that I walk in. I'm really struggling here with this thing right now, but you can't forget what the Lord has done for you. You can't forget that he's bigger than this thing you're hyperfixating on right now. And here's the thing. I'm not trying to cheapen that or diminish that. Because there are circumstances that are incredibly difficult and need problem solving. You need to think about it. I'm not saying that's not the case. I'm saying that if that is all you see, we have a problem. We have a problem. And if we... The truth is, too, is that there are times where, and I've said this before many times, where I have rebuked Satan himself very passionately, only to realize, oh, (laughs) that was God. And he was teaching me something, and this has changed my life. This has changed my life. If we don't struggle or go through adversity, we will not grow. If we are not challenged to step out of our comfort zone, if we're not challenged or charged by the Lord to step out in boldness and do something we don't like that makes us uncomfy, we will not grow. We won't. If we never move, we won't grow. This is really random, but I have a pot, like a little metal pot in my backyard right now, and there's not enough drainage in this pot. So I put a pretty flower in it, and I completely forgot about it. And it's been raining like crazy, and it's completely filled to the top with water, and it's just sat there because I forgot about it. And it's full of soil and leaves and just all kinds of crap. There's no longer a flower that's growing there anymore because it's sat stagnant, and I haven't done anything to address it. Nothing is going to grow out of that pot except maybe mold, <laughs> which is not, not a pretty flower. Because... It's, I haven't done anything to address it, to help, to aid the process of growth of this flower. If anything, I've left it alone and now it's drowned death and nothing's going to change at all. Stagnancy isn't healthy. If you're not being challenged, if you're not having to step out, if you're not having to face fear, you will be stagnant and growth will not come from you. And that's not how God has called us to live. That's not how God has called us to live. Essentially, it's insane how much, because Christine was talking so much about obedience last week. Very often, boldness and obedience are hand in hand. 
oftentimes, if you're being asked to be bold and step out in something, you're also asking to be obedient. And sometimes it's really difficult. And sometimes you might be really tired. But unfortunately, obedience and boldness aren't limited by our circumstances. We don't get out of obedience because we're tired. We don't get out of obedience and boldness because we're having a hard time. Honestly, if you are tired, if you are having a hard time, that's probably a better reason for you to be obedient because it keeps pushing you on. I have a personal story about this recently. Um, It was one of those weeks, this was a couple weeks ago when we were doing modules and I was asked to do the Intimacy with God one. Um, And it was just a month where I was so tired. It was just one of those months. I was really drained. No one really knew. I was like keeping it together. You know, I'm going to show up. I don't, it was just one of those days where like I just don't want to be here. Like I'm just, I want to go home and I want to hide in my house and I want to just not have to think about anything or talk to anyone. It was one of those days for me. And so, but I knew I was supposed to be there. I said I would be there. So I'm going. I'm like, okay, here we go. And it had been one of those weeks where I'm like, I had been talking with my, my Joshua, and I'd learned some things about myself, and I was like, I have more things to address about myself. Like, how exhausting. So I was just sitting there, and I was like, I had this new list of things where I was like, I need to bring this to the Lord. I probably need to talk to someone about that. I need to make sure. Just a, just a to-do list where I was like, I'm just exhausted. Like, I don't want to talk to people about intimacy with God right now. Because right now, intimacy with God is kicking my butt, and it's not nice. I don't want to talk about it. So I was just showed up, and no one showed up to my class. No one. And I was like, Jesus. Thank you. (laughs) I really needed this. And so then Richard is speaking on scripture. And I was like, okay, well, I am the one with the church key. I need to make sure I lock up. I'll just stay in his class. Wait till you hear what happened. So he talks about, (laughs) he was talking about this passage. It's 2 Corinthians 12, 7 through 10. And it says, so therefore, this is Paul, so that I would not become arrogant, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to trouble me, so that I would not become arrogant. I asked the Lord three times about this, that it would depart from me. But he said to me, my grace is enough for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. So then I will boast most gladly about my weakness so that the power of Christ may reside in me. Therefore, I am content with weakness, with insults, with troubles, with persecutions and with difficulties for the sake of Christ. Whenever I am weak, he is strong. And when Richard finished that that scripture, there was this beautiful pause of silence. And then he goes, perhaps you need the thorn in your flesh. Perhaps God put it there. Perhaps it's for a good reason. And I was like, I was just sitting pleasantly. But in my mind, I was like, you know what? Shut up, Richard. You know what? I'm tired, okay? I don't need this. Why do you have to be so anointed by God right now? This is for me. And it's just those moments where it was like my circumstance and my exhaustion 
was no excuse for me to get out of what I said yes to. There was no reason for me to use that as an excuse not to show up, not to continually commit to what the Lord has asked of me. And the Lord asked me to come to this country, be involved in this church, and to work hard. And if I'm having a bad day, I'm not exempt from that calling. That sucks sometimes. And then God has the audacity to do that. I was like, this is literally changing my entire perspective right now, and I'm so annoyed by it. I just want to go to sleep. Like, we have these moments. We have these times. But in that, I had a choice to make. I had the choice to be like, wasn't for me. This isn't even my class. Or to be like, God is speaking to me. And God is using my situation to teach me something. A lot of people get offended by that, but he does. We can't grow faith with the Lord if we don't have a reason to put our faith in him. And a lot of that time, time it looks like when that's difficult for us. But another thing, too, is that when I was little, my, we, my mom used to take us swimming a lot of the time. And I remember there was a diving board and I would stand on it. And honestly, the diving board was probably about this tall off the ground. It really wasn't that high. And I would stand on the edge of it and I would be in bits. Like, I was terrified. But I was like, I'm doing it. I just have to stand here like a psycho and be terrified for 10 minutes before I actually work up the courage to do it. How many of you know that's actually more terrifying than it was to actually jump in the water? Once I jumped in the water, I was like, this is the best day ever. This is great. I don't even, I'm not even thinking about that anymore. And oftentimes that's the thing. Sometimes we keep ourselves like, oh, I don't want to do it. Eee, no, 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 don't make me. Eat. And that's actually worse than actually going forth and doing it. But when we do that, it's like, I did that. I jumped in. And then the next time I was like, I know I'm going to like it. I know I'm going to have fun. So I still stood there for a second, but I jumped in quicker. And then, you know, a month passes by, two months pass by, and I just jump right in. Faith. God builds faith in moments of adversity. God builds faith in moments of challenge. He asks us to step out in boldness and to get things done with him because he knows that there is so much capacity and capability in us. And it's either going to come out or it isn't. Joshua said yes to this. He said yes. And he led a generation of people into the promised land. He led a group of people that walked in the promise of God 40 years after they should have. Well, 47 at that point. C.S. Lewis says mere change is not growth. Growth is the synthesis of change and continuity. Where there is no continuity... There is no growth. To go back to my plant analogy, you know how when kids sometimes in school they'll have a little sunflower seed in a cup? We used to do this when we were little. You'd have a sunflower seed in the cup, and as it would get bigger, you'd have to repot it and repot it until you planted it in the ground. And there were some that were taller than me, and it was incredible. But it's not going to grow. That sunflower never would have grown unless I had put it in a bigger pot. It grows out of the pot. You put it in a bigger one. 
Then it grows out of that pot, and then put it in a bigger one until you put it in the ground itself. Pots often don't, or pots, plants often don't like to be repotted, but they end up thriving more because they have the space to grow. God is calling us to walk out in boldness. And the band can come ahead back up. Um, but God is calling us to walk in boldness. And if we don't continue to be challenged, if we don't continue to say yes to that charge, if we don't continue to face the fear in our lives and move past what has hindered us before, then we won't grow. I'm really sorry if this is mean, but I feel this so strongly, and this has been really personal to me lately, because it's like, of course, like, of course, growing isn't that pleasant all the time, but it's so incredible, and I charge you with this. If you are struggling at the minute with something, or if God's asking more of you, and you're like, are you seriously asking me for more? Which I'm saying funny, but it's not always funny. If that is the case, look back on your life. Look back at your testimony. Look back at other testimonies and see where God has shown up for people. Because two years ago, I was also struggling with something else. And now I walk in the freedom of what I dealt with in that moment. Now I walk in the freedom of facing fear and of facing things that I didn't want to. So bulking out in boldness goes in partnership with obedience and goes in partnership with faithfulness and faithfulness in the Lord because they all grow together. So I'm just going to pray us out. But Jesus, God, thank you for being with us all the time. Thank you, God, that you never leave or forsake us ever. God, I thank you that if you were asking us to step out in boldness and to face fear, you will be there also. We are not required to do these things by ourselves. And if we're trying, convict us, Jesus. But I thank you, God, that our weakness is not a problem you can't solve. I thank you, God, that your favor and your blessing and your strength are on weakness today in Jesus' name. So if you are feeling weak, I just pray the strength of the Lord falls on you right now. I pray the presence of the Lord over situations, God, that you would reveal yourself in places where it's really hard to see you in the moment. I also ask God that you would help people as well as teach them how to stop hyperfixating on the thing that they're struggling with, to zoom out and see that you're good and that you're faithful and that you've never left. I thank you for your goodness. I thank you that you keep your promises. And you are so faithful to continue the work that you've started in us, God. We praise your name in Jesus' name.